We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> well, I'm ready for a settlement. That's what I'm ready for. Brad Young sitting in with you this evening here at your service, as always. And at your service, I've mentioned this before, at least from my perspective, it means we're here to talk to you. We're here to hear your thoughts and let's have a dialogue. That's something you can't do with a podcast. That's something you can't do with Netflix, but you can do it right here every night on Camo X. A couple more texts here. We got some phone calls. Adrian, we're going to get to you in just a second. Uh, also, Mark and some others. But uh, text says, yeah, it's going to bring jobs to downtown and bring businesses to restaurants if we get an expansion team. That's a very, very good point. I just don't know if we can trust these NFL owners. They've burned us twice, burned us with the Cardinals, burned us with the Rams. Do we really want to trust them with the, oh, I don't know, the purple stallions? I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna, hopefully, oh, my goodness, I hope it wouldn't be that. But uh, but in any event, what are your thoughts on this? Hey, Adrian, you've been following this pretty closely. What are your thoughts? Hi. I think it'd be a unique opportunity. Um, I also think it's a great timing for this case to be coming, you know, to the front because, you know, the expansion teams don't come in ones, they come in twos. And we've got a bunch of, you know, big boy billionaires like Jeff Bezos showing more than an interest in putting that market overseas. And I think that's not just a reality that's going to be happening if it's just a matter of when. So I think if, you know, whatever, however it comes out, and I do agree with what the previous person said about it would bring a lot of businesses and things like that. And plus, it would give the... Uh, St. Louis, something to do with football that they haven't done in a long time or possibly never before in the right way, which is start a franchise on their own. That way it's up to the city to have a plan and the owner, it will be a new owner to come in and do something, mm -hmm. which there is nothing here. St. Louis is a great sports town and it's just one of those things that we can have, especially anybody who grew up in the eighties, nineties, 2000s, which have you, there was great football in St. Louis. And if we could just stop begging and borrowing from other people with their ideas and teams and things like that and just start something of our own, that would be a much better approach. And it would help revitalize downtown. 
And then maybe Tashara Jones can hire some police officers to clean things up instead of social workers. No Thank doubt. You. So, well, hang on a second. Before you run off, though, uh, Adrian, very quickly, you just to make sure I understand your point. Well, we lost him. That's okay. I think his point was we could have an overseas franchise because the franchise is coming too, and then have one here in St. Louis. I think that was the point he was trying to make. There's a lot of merit to that. I would certainly love to see that. I just don't know if uh, if, if we could if we could trust the NFL to to make that happen. Oh, here we got Adrian back here, and I want to clarify this before we get to the other callers. Adrian, your point was we could have an NFL team say in London, and then have an NFL team here, and that would give us the two expansion teams to increase the size of the league. Absolutely, because, I mean, do they ever, in any league, do they bring in an expansion team in ones or they bring them in in twos? Mm-hmm. And I think if St. Louis came in with a plan, you know, whether it's getting a new owner or where they kind of put the stadium, are they going to upgrade it? Just, I mean, we got Ballpark Village built eventually, but it still came in. Great piece of development. They put in all these new high rises and things like that. Pitch that to people that can actually do something with it. Having an NFL team in a city changes the complexion, the dynamic, and more importantly, for the people who live downtown or investing in town, downtown, it changes the dynamics and the demographics for their business. And their economics. You, you, you're absolutely right, Adrian. Thank you for calling back and appreciate you being a part of the show tonight. Thank you. Yep, you bet. Hey, Mark. Uh, Mark from Collinsville. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Can you hear me okay? Uh, perfectly. All right, very good. My question is, as part of the settlement, if that case, you know, the St. Louis versus the Rams, if it goes to trial and they offer a settlement and they say, we'll give you a franchise, who is going to be the owner and how will they determine who the owner is going to be? Well, I think the, the, the of course, we don't know. We can only speculate. But I can tell you, because of the ways we've been burned in the past, it would have to be a local ownership group that's already existing right here in St. Louis, say the Taylors or somebody else uh, who could step into those shoes. Because if somebody else comes in from out of town, then we would just be repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. Well, I agree with you there, but like, is the NFL just going to randomly appoint, like you say, the Taylors, are they just going to randomly say, here, here's your NFL franchise or is that group going to have to put up money? Mm-hmm. Well, they're you not going to give it to some dude on the, on the corner of the sidewalk at Market and Chestnut with a Sharpie and cardboard, but it, it is going to be, they would probably require money to be put up. Yeah, okay. I just, you know, that's what, from the stories and, you know, the reports that I hear, it's like, you know, we're going to give the city of St. Louis a franchise, you know, is, and, the city's got much more important things to do than worry about running an NFL franchise. Yeah, it wouldn't be owned by the city. I don't think it would be like a Green Bay Packers kind of a thing where the city would own it because, my goodness, the city can't run anything. We certainly wouldn't want them owning an NFL team. My goodness, that would be extremely bad. But, uh, hey, Mark, I appreciate you calling in this evening. Can Thank we, you. Can I make – are you still there? No, yeah, you can make one more point, but okay. make it quickly. we got to go. go back? Can I, yeah, can I go back and make a comment about John Gruden's you bet. stories that have come out? I say I think that John, my personal opinion is John Gruden was somehow they had information on him and they just threw all his information out there. 
and made him a scapegoat to put aside the lawsuit against the NFL that St. Louis has filed. That's just, yeah, that's just my opinion. They found a new scapegoat and they said, we'll take, you know, distract us and give it all to Gruden right now. Understood, Mark. Hey, thank you for sharing your thoughts this evening on Camo X. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the, the only problem with that theory, Mark, is that the Gruden story is a one-week story, and this case is still set for trial on January 10th, and that's not going to change. Hey, last hour, oh, before we move on very quickly, one fantastic text came in uh, saying that even if we had a stadium and a team, the downtown crime would still scare away many folks from staying downtown, and that is an issue that would not go away even if we got a stadium. Last hour, we talked about William Shatner going into space. Well, I wanted to kind of continue the space theme, and coming up after the break, we're going to talk to an actual astrophysicist. and Yes, a, a real astrophysicist from Washington University about NASA's mission to literally, and again, this is not a piece of fiction here, to defend the Earth from killer asteroids. I'm not making this up. Brad Young, you're going to want to stick around for this on At Your Service. KMOX. Don't just listen to the news. React to it. We are the voice of St. Louis. Everyone is welcome. You know, William Shatner goes up in space. Everybody's talking about Star Trek. So I thought, you know, just to bring it home to real science, because let's face it, Shatner's launch into space wasn't real science. I mean, it was a tourist trip and the most fantastic PR stunt that I've ever seen uh, in my lifetime. So I wanted to get to some real science. And I am a science geek. And, you know, NASA ordered this week or announced rather this week that in November it's going to launch a spacecraft. And I'm not making this up to crash into an asteroid with the goal of trying to change its orbit to test a planetary defense system. So to help us understand the complexities of this mission, I wanted to reach out to an actual astrophysicist. It's a Ryan Ogliori, a Ph.D. from California Institute of Technology, and he's an assistant professor of physics at Washington University right here in St. Louis. Dr. Ogliori, thanks for joining us this evening again on X. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, first of all, let's uh, let's let's talk about the reason why this mission is launching, and let's talk just briefly about what's the potential danger of an asteroid hitting the Earth. Yeah, yeah. So the danger is very real. Um, asteroids hit our Earth every day. Uh, just a week ago, it was a, a phenomenal incident where an asteroid crashed through the roof of a woman in Canada and landed on her pillow next to her when she was sleeping. So um, wow, I'm saying that by way. Yeah, it was. I wish it happened to me, but that's well, my dream someday. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, I heard right. there was there was a large boom in New Hampshire this week, and uh, and scientists are now exploring the possibility of whether that was an asteroid breaking the sound barrier. Yeah, yeah, and it probably was. And these things happen frequent, like you know, uh, every couple weeks. And if something looks like uh, a meteorite fall, like if there's meteorites possibly on the ground, then I'll go with some of my friends here and go look for it. And that's happened a few times. So those, yeah, those incidents are quite common. So it's just a matter of size. 
And the distribution of these objects, um, the rare, the bigger ones are much rarer, the smaller ones are much more common. Um, but the hard part is once you get into the really big objects, how much rarer is not very well determined. And two recent or semi-recent events in the last hundred years or so, one over Siberia in 1908, another one over Russia in 2013, were supposed to be, you know, every a thousand years or 10,000 years, but they happened in less than a hundred years. So it kind of caught us, got us rethinking how rare these big events are, and they might be more common than we think. Well, and isn't the prevailing theory about the event that killed off the dinosaurs linked to an asteroid that crashed into the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico? That's right. Yeah, that's called the Cretaceous Paleogene Impactor. Um, that one was several miles across, you know, compared mm-hmm. to the one that fell on the woman's pillow, which is several inches across. So um, that one, it was discovered by a father-son team. Um, I think it's every father's dream to discover what killed the dinosaurs with with his son, so that's pretty cool. Um, and just recently, a uh, scientific team did a drill core in that impact crater and, and found it's indeed an impact crater, and I think it's, it's pretty strong evidence that that's what did it. And, of course, we don't want something like that happening to us. Right. So, so even though getting hit by an asteroid uh, isn't all that uncommon for a smaller one, a large asteroid, uh, with that, the resulting destruction would certainly be catastrophic. That's right. Yeah. So um, 100 meters across and bigger can cause some real damage. Um, you know, a kilometer size uh, is an existential threat. So if you multiply that unlikeliness by an extinction level event, it becomes something that we as a species that has the technology to stop it, we're, I think, obligated to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about time. I think it's actually a little delayed that we started thinking yeah, about this. Overdue. Thing. We're talking to astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. So tell us about the DART mission. I understand that's the double asteroid redirection test. What's going to happen during this test that's going to be launched just next month? So uh, DART will basically slam a spacecraft into an asteroid, and that asteroid's name is Dimorphos. And it's called double asteroid because it's, it's actually orbiting a much larger asteroid called Didymos. So the goal is to see how much uh, change in the orbit uh, will be induced when that spacecraft hits Dimorphos. And because it's orbiting something larger, it's very easy to see how its orbit changed. So if it was just orbiting the sun, then it would be very, very difficult to see mm-hmm. what impact this, what we call kinetic impactor, has on the asteroid. So this isn't, and just so folks understand, this isn't an, an asteroid that right now is like heading towards the Earth. This is just an asteroid uh, that this kinetic impact event is going to be used to test the proof of theory to make sure that that this system could work in the event we needed it for some actual uh, potential catastrophe. That's right. It's not a um, potentially hazardous asteroid. Uh, it's conveniently located for us to get to. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, just a test. We've never tested anything like this before. And in fact, like these NASA missions are very worried about contamination, right? So it's always been mm-hmm. when we do these missions, we don't want to contaminate Mars, uh, contaminate an asteroid. So it's, it's 
strange to me to think we're intentionally contaminating something. It's a you know, paradigm shift. Well, what what are the physics involved? Because you know it's easy for us. I mean, we were talking about Star Trek earlier today, and it's easy for us to think of a movie. And we're going to talk about some movies in a second with you too. But where you just fly up to an asteroid and do something. But what are the physics involved with finding this asteroid, catching up to it, and then diverting it with a kinetic impact? Yeah. So the cool new technologies for this mission are, um, to me, autonomous navigation. So they developed an entirely new navigation system that has some really interesting image processing algorithms. So it's able to find such a small and dark asteroid from a long way off. Um, and I think it will, the last several hours, it will be entirely autonomous. And we'll find that object in its four megapixel camera and navigate and move its uh, rockets and the other cool thing is it has some cool um, electric ion thrusters that it will use as well to navigate, uh, to put itself on a collision course with the asteroid. So that's a technology that will help us uh, when we do more interstellar inter, um, missions, when we really leave the solar system. The light travel time um, is way too long to communicate with that spacecraft, so it's going to have to be autonomous, and that's uh, technology that, that we're developing more and more, and this right. mission is an example of that. Right, and we're seeing that right now with a helicopter on Mars, where because of the distance between Earth and Mars, uh, that we can't like fly it like a joystick like you would a drone, so it has to be autonomously operated. And again, we're seeing that right now with the Mars helicopter, aren't we? That's right, that's right. And these things have, you can't fail, right? So they have to work really well. And there is, there is somebody on DART that spent five years developing this algorithm to hit the asteroid. And it will, you know, the first thing I want to see is if it will work, right? So these are very non-trivial things to do, you know, like the self-driving car thing. It's, it's, very, it's a very, very challenging engineering problem. We're talking to astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. And let's say, hypothetically speaking here, doctor, if we find some future asteroid that is on a collision course with Earth, how important would it be to to identify this asteroid earlier rather than later? I mean, in other words, walk us through the physics of the difference between finding something that's going to collide with the Earth in a year or something that's going to collide with the Earth in 20 years. Right. So um, if we find it 20 years in advance, basically we need to give that that asteroid a little bit of, of energy, a little bit of movement. And if we find it, identify it 20 years in advance, we need to move it um, inches per second. And that's not too hard to do with something like DART. If we find it six months in advance, we have to move it fast enough that to move it that fast would break up the rock, right? So um, it's an enormous difference. Um, I think right now, we, you know, with something like like DART, we're going to need a few years advance notice. If we have months, uh, weeks, um, we'd have to do something much more dramatic. And speaking of dramatic, you know, we've all seen movies like Armageddon, which of course are scientifically preposterous and silly, uh, but where the Earth launches, say, a nuclear missile at an incoming asteroid. Why is that actually a very, very, very bad idea? Yeah, yeah, this is something my brother asked me about. It's kind of his thing. Um, I think, like, certainly a bad movie, um, but 
when you yeah, think but about Bruce it, Willis he... was funny. Okay, I mean, come on, he he had some great lines, yeah. especially when they said, you know, if we save the Earth from this asteroid, we don't want to pay any taxes again ever. I mean, that was a good line. Yeah, that was some good negotiation, and the soundtrack was good too. Oh, so, true, that's right. Um, it, it did have some redeeming qualities, <laughs> um, but it turns out like. If you want, like I said uh, previously, we got to give that asteroid energy, right? And when you send a rocket into space, your main problem is is the payload. So to get something very heavy into space is very, very difficult. So the thing that will give you the most energy per pound is a nuclear bomb. So that part is not terribly preposterous. So in that situation where we find something I mean, a few hundred meters less than a year in advance. The scientific community basically thinks that a nuclear disruption or deflection, uh, a la Armageddon, I mean, not so ridiculous, but that kind of idea is probably the best way to go. Um, And that's... um, Kind of the prevailing theory, which is kind of funny, but... Um, but that would be the, the Hail the, Mary, like we don't have any other options, because if you detonate an asteroid with a nuclear bomb, aren't you just creating hundreds, if not thousands, of more asteroids when that when that celestial body breaks up into pieces? That's right. right that's right. And that, that's been the primary argument against this idea. Like, if I, if I put a bomb in it and break it up into 10 pieces... Now I have 10 pieces that are moving along the same orbit that the bigger asteroid was. But these, all, these things depend a lot on the material strength of the asteroid, how far you bury the nuclear bomb, the, the yield of the bomb. And the good thing about, about nuclear explosions is that they're very, very well modeled. Um, but blowing up uh, something that looks like the meteorite that fell uh, in Canada recently is not so well modeled, and, and really the most some of the most recent studies on this that I've I've seen um, in the last few years seem to say that you're going to disrupt that asteroid because they're relatively porous, they're relatively friable material. You're going to disrupt that asteroid and move those fragments off the orbit or make them small enough that they'll burn up in the atmosphere. So I think it's something that, like DART, like you don't really know until you test it mm-hmm. but we can't test this because you'd have to build like an interplanetary ballistic missile and nobody wants to do that that sounds terrible it so, does and so plus it, ditch it's a it's a hail mary effort and if we have to do it we better do it soon because you know bruce willis is getting old uh we're, we're talking yeah, to true, <laughs> we're talking to astrophysicist dr ryan ogliori and uh in the in the couple of minutes that we have left here doctor uh this launch is going to take place next month, but it's going to take a while for the DART spacecraft to actually reach this asteroid, isn't it? Yeah, I think it'll take about a year, um, something like that. So, yeah, these things, uh, this is why we need these kind of lead times, right? So um, it, it, does, it doesn't get there really fast. And what do you hope to see from this? In other words, what kind of data would you like to see as a result of this experiment that will help us as we you know, look to defend the Earth from future possible uh, killer asteroids? Right, right. So first I want to see if it actually hits it with that autonomous navigation system. I think it will, but you never know. Space, uh, space missions are incredibly difficult. Um, the other thing I want to see is, is it seems like a very simple physics problem, 
that it's two objects colliding. You know, Isaac Newton could have told us what happened. But these asteroids are complicated things. They contain ices, so you could hit it, and it could create a jet that creates some other force that changes mm-hmm. its orbit in some unknown way. I guarantee something like that will happen. It always does. Wow, um, and we can't and that predict will, that. This is why we do these things. Yeah, yeah. I think we will never, we don't know until we do it, and that's why we can, we need to try something like this. And with the new, new telescopes are, are coming online that are able to find a uh, hundred meter and up to a kilometer size objects that could be potentially hazardous to Earth well in advance. So this kind of Armageddon scenario we were talking about isn't going to happen because we have telescopes that would tell us that something that big is that close and that dangerous multiple years in advance. So this, this kind of DART um, kinetic impactor uh, idea is really the best way to go. And it's great that we're we're finally testing it. Yes, and I just hope that uh, when they launch this DART mission, they play like a lot of uh, Aerosmith tunes, just like in Armageddon, because Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler, was, of course, in the movie. But, okay, I'll stop the pop reference, right. the pop movie culture references. <laughs> uh, d- uh, d- astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori, hey, thank you for sharing your expertise with us this evening here on Camo X. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you again. I'm sure we'll speak again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Coming up after the break, we're going to break down Biden's vaccine mandate because it looks like it's about ready to be published. So, uh, you know, in September, President Biden said that there will be a vaccine mandate issued through OSHA. I'm going to break that down for you, what's going to happen and how I think it will be challenged in court But if you've got some thoughts on this uh, asteroid mission, because we are talking about a lot of space stuff tonight, give us a call. Love to hear your thoughts. 314-436-7900. Call or text at your service on Camo X. Don't go away. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Your home of Abilicans, Chiefs, and Cardinals. I like sports. Listen to sports. America's Sports Voice. KMOX. You know, as, as much as I know that 
Armageddon is fiction, just like I know, okay, I know Star Trek is fiction. I don't think it's real. Uh, there are no Vulcans, although it would be kind of cool if there were. Uh, but but Armageddon, I watched that movie again a few months ago. It, I just laughed the whole the whole movie. I just laughed. The science is so bad. It's like Independence Day. You know, Independence Day is one of the worst movies of all time from any sort of a logic or science perspective. But darn it, it's really fun to watch with a bowl of popcorn on a Friday night. It just really is. Uh, because it's just so darn silly. Uh, and, but Armageddon, though, does raise this issue. And and that's why I wanted to bring it up with an actual astrophysicist. And I, I was just thrilled that he actually had seen the movie. I mean, that's that's a cool astrophysicist that not only has a Ph.D., but, you know, watches movies like Armageddon, too, because I can't watch law movies, uh, generally speaking, because all I do is try to sit and pick them apart. And I should have asked Dr. Ogliori next time I have him on, I'm going to ask him, when you watch a stupid movie like Armageddon, do you just pick it apart or can you actually enjoy, you know, the silliness of Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck? So uh, I'll have to ask him that next time, next time I have him on. Talking about silliness, though, how's that for a transition? Joe Biden in September, President Biden announced that he was going to issue an order through OSHA to require that all employers mandate vaccines if they employ 100 people or more, and he was going to do this through OSHA. Now, just before we even start this conversation, I've not only had both of my uh, Pfizer shots, but I even got a booster shot two and a half weeks ago. So in no way am I anti-vaccine. I'm very pro-vaccine. I think everyone should get the vaccine if it's okay with you and your doctor. But if you choose not to get it, I am adamantly against vaccine mandates. Because when you see, particularly during the abortion protests in Texas, when people were carrying around signs that said, my body, my choice, I thought, doesn't that apply specifically to the vaccine issue? Yet I promise you, every one of those people carrying a sign that said, my body, my choice, were probably in favor of vaccine mandates, which really just destroys their argument. But in any event, back to Joe Biden. Employment law is the area of law that I practice. And one of the uh, major areas of my practice involves dealing with OSHA issues because I deal and handle with work-related injuries and I represent employers with regard to people who get hurt on the job. So this is an area that I'm very, very familiar with. And as soon as President Biden announced that he was going to issue this OSHA mandate for employers, I immediately thought of what's called the emergency temporary standard. That's the mechanism by which OSHA issues emergency rules. And if you look at the track record of emergency temporary standards, since OSHA was founded, I think OSHA was actually started in 1972, 1973, uh, back in that time frame. Since then, the emergency temporary standard has been an utter failure at the court system. In other words, every time, in fact, I, I, I ran the numbers, and this has only been tried nine times going back to the early 1970s. 
and six of those nine attempts at issuing an emergency temporary standard, six of the nine were stricken by the courts. Six times out of nine. So I'm going to break down for you why that is. Uh, but for example, the first time that this was attempted, or I, I guess one of the more celebrated times, was in 1983. Now, that's the year I graduated from high school. But back in the 80s, asbestos was a big, big deal. There was asbestos in the workplace. There was asbestos in buildings. It was, a, it was an enormous issue from a litigation standpoint. People were getting mesothelioma and dying from exposure to asbestos. So OSHA issued a temporary standard uh, talking about how asbestos would be remedied in the workplace. And the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals struck it down, even though inhaling even the smallest amounts of asbestos can kill you. The court struck it down. And the reason why they struck it down is because these rules are what's called promulgated. That's the term stating that, they're, that they are written by and issued by an agency. They are not laws that come from Congress. And when those emergency temporary standards are issued, they're based upon very fuzzy language in a statute. Nothing specific, just issuing the power to issue rules regarding health and safety in the workplace. And so the courts are very reluctant to allow these types of emergency temporary standards to go forward because that's something that Congress should do. In other words, if you look in the entire OSHA statute under federal law, there is not one word in there anywhere that talks about the power to mandate a vaccine. Not one single word in the entire OSHA section of the federal law empowers OSHA to require a, man, a, a vaccine mandate. Zero. And so the courts are always reluctant to allowing an administrative agency to take on a power that Congress did not give them. Now, what example do we have? We're going to take a break here, and when we come back from this break, I'm going to give you not only a recent example, but an example from this summer that will tell you why I am confident that the courts will strike down this vaccine mandate from the federal courts because it is an unlawful use of power by a federal agency. Brad Young sitting in this evening at your service on KMOX. Keep pace with the latest locally. Ask your smart speaker to play KMOX. Well, have you got your shot yet? You got your COVID vaccine? You work for a company that has at least 100 employees. You may be wondering, am I going to have to get the jab? Is my employer going to tell me, get the jab or get a new job? You take uh, whatever you want. It's your choice. A lot of companies are doing that. Uh, but and, and I think under the concept of free enterprise, they're allowed to do that. But what I resent, because the definition of tyranny is the unlawful and the unethical use of power by a government. That is literally the definition of tyranny. And when you look at what President Biden is wanting to do right now through OSHA, from my perspective, that defines tyranny because the government doesn't have the power to do that. So I was going to break down for you 
how this is going to work and our real-life example of why the courts will strike this down. Let me take you back, beginning of COVID. Congress authorized through the CDC to issue what was called an eviction moratorium that landlords, people that own property, could not kick tenants out if they failed to pay the rent. And that was for about a year or so that Congress authorized that to happen. When that year expired, it was attempted, there was an attempt to extend it by just a few months. It went up to the Supreme Court. Justice Kavanaugh was the only one that actually wrote an opinion. He said this is an unlawful use of an agency power because it was not authorized by Congress. But I'm going to let it go because the whole thing expires in two weeks. So it was five to four upholding the use of power, but only because it was going to expire in two weeks. Well, lo and behold, President Biden was being pressured, particularly by St. Louis's own Congresswoman, Cori Bush, who was camping out on the Capitol. And I say camping out. She was like in a recliner and she had her you know, battery to keep her phone charged so she could you know, live stream on Facebook how cute she was sitting on the Capitol steps with bags of Doritos. So she was out there protesting this, this eviction moratorium that had expired. And so President Biden actually uh, gave a press conference, you'll remember this, where he said there is no legal authority for me to extend the eviction moratorium. There is no legal authority. And I thought the issue was over. And then after a week of pressure from Cori Bush, lo and behold, President Biden issues an executive order through the CDC to extend the moratorium eviction. No congressional authority, no law was passed, no statute authorized it. It was simply him writing an executive order, signing it, and putting it into place. Well, what happened? There was an instant injunction. It wound its way through the courts with lightning speed, like in a week or two. It was crazy how fast it moved. And it went directly to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court struck it down, I believe, six to three, stating that there was no uh, federal authority, there was no uh, legislative authority for the federal government, for the CDC, to prevent private owners of property to evict tenants that don't pay in the absence of congressional authorization. So this was something that the CDC already had received congressional authorization to do, but it had simply expired. And in that situation, the court said, you don't have the authority to do that, CDC. We're going to strike it down, and the eviction moratorium ended. And so now President Biden is issuing a new executive order. In fact, it was just came out today. We haven't seen it yet, but OSHA has completed it, and now it's going uh, to the Office of Management and Budget for them to review it before it is published. But here's the problem. Even at the higher echelons of government, they clearly know the difference between an executive order and a federal law. Remember during the Trump administration, everyone complained, particularly the news media and the left, anytime President Trump issued an executive order. These are meaningless. Why is he doing it? These aren't law. They can't enforce them. He's not my president. But when President Biden does it, all you hear typically are crickets. Well, this is what the President Biden's own press secretary, Jen Psaki, said just today about this issue of, I think she said it yesterday, but the issue of issuing this executive order and whether it constitutes the force of law. Either she's lying 
or she's so confused that she should not be the press secretary. Here's what she said. Well, Josh's requirements are promulgated by federal law. So when the president announced um, his vaccine uh, mandates for businesses that, of course, we're waiting on OSHA regulations for as a next step, um, that was pursuant to federal law and the implementation of federal law because it's an executive order. So our intention is to implement and continue to work to implement these requirements across the country, including in the states where there are attempts to oppose them. Now, listen to what she just said. You heard it. I wanted, That's why I wanted you to hear her words. She said that the vaccine mandate was promulgated by federal law. That is wrong. That is false. And if she really believes it, she cannot be the press secretary because that's an executive order. An executive order is not the same as federal law, Jen Psaki. You know it and I know it. So if you're smart enough to know the difference, then it has to be a lie because it's not promulgated by federal law. She said it twice in the quote that you heard. She said pursuant to federal law because it was an executive order. Those that those are contra that's a contradictory sentence. It can't be pursuant to federal law if it's from an executive order. Those two things are opposites. They are not the same. And they don't have the full force and effect of law if it's an executive order. Now, why am I making a big deal about this? Because remember when I defined what tyranny means? The unlawful or unethical use of power by government. And at this point, President Biden is attempting to do, by executive order, what must and can only come from legislation. And just like the, the uh, eviction moratorium that was thrown out at the Supreme Court level, just like that, this will suffer the same fate. It's interesting. In that eviction moratorium case that went to the Supreme Court, this is what the Supreme Court said in the opinion striking down the eviction moratorium just a few months ago. This is what the Supreme Court said, and I'm quoting. We expect Congress to speak clearly when authorizing an agency to exercise powers of vast economic and political significance, unquote. And then the court went on to state that because Congress had not spoken clearly, with regard to the eviction moratorium, they struck it down. Now, that was an example, even though the, the, the legislation, the, the Congress, rather, did authorize the eviction moratorium, but they just put in an expiration date. So that was in a situation where Congress had already authorized that power. They just, you know, put like if you buy a, a jar of peanut butter at the store, there's an expiration date on it. But this, my friends, this with regard to a vaccine mandate, ordering a power that, that OSHA has never had, ordering the use of an authority for something that the federal government has never done in the history of the United States. If the Supreme Court did not allow the CDC to extend an eviction moratorium just a little bit beyond its expiration date, even though it was previously authorized to do it, is the Supreme Court going to allow an, an administrative agency to force people to get vaccinated against their will when Congress has never authorized it. Federal law, there's not one word that authorizes it, and OSHA contains zero reference to ever giving authority to OSHA to mandate a vaccine. 
folks, this, you know, if Vegas has taken bets on this, this, this to me seems like a sure thing. Because once this sees the light of day, it will immediately be challenged in court. And I believe it will be ultimately decided by the Supreme Court 6-3, to three, stating the federal government cannot force vaccinations. What do you think? Should the federal government be allowed to do that or not? 314-436-7900 on At Your Service. KMOX will be right back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.